Bible scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through chapter 5, verse 2. Let us listen for the word of God. Therefore, after you've gotten rid of lying, each of you must tell the truth to your neighbor, because we are parts of each other in the same body. Be angry without sinning. Don't let the sun set on your anger. Don't provide an opportunity for the devil. Thieves should no longer steal. Instead, they should go to work, using their hands to do good so that they will have something to share with whoever is in need. Don't let any foul words come out of your mouth. Only say what is helpful when it is needed for building up the community so that it benefits those who hear what you say. Don't make the Holy Spirit of God unhappy. You were sealed by God for the day of redemption. Put aside all bitterness, losing your temper, angry, shouting and slander along with every other evil. Be kind compassionate, and forgiving to each other in the same way God forgave you in Christ. imitate God like dearly beloved children. Live your life with love, following the example of Christ who loved us and offered himself for us. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I don't know how you're experiencing the world today what your general sense of our social, political, religious, heck, family and neighborhood situation is in your life. And maybe it's just me, but 
I can't remember a time where I felt like our world was so tense, so frustrated with one another, where anger and fear is the dominant emotion of the day. I can't remember a time where our world was so divided. Sure, there have been times when we've argued and disagreed, sometimes violently and loudly and with fervor, but it seems like those disagreements have seeped down into even our close relationships with friends and neighbor. I've recently heard folks in the church remark that it didn't used to matter in this church who you voted for, where your politics landed, where we've had heads of the county GOP and the local DNC sit at the same table and eat the same bread, who've laughed about the latest stories about Uncle Fred. I've heard those stories. And it's not just our politics, it's everywhere. I've heard stories of people's attitudes with grocery clerks who are just doing their jobs. Or of a friend of mine who got spit on by a guy not wearing a mask because she was. Or of fights at a school board meeting. I saw a clip the other day of a neighbor cutting down his neighbor's tree for no good reason, it seems, than other than that the tree was sort of blocking his driveway. It seems our fear and our anger with one another is so palpable in the air, it's almost like another person. And maybe it's the tenor of the people we see on TV seeping down into our daily lives or the way social media amplifies the most extreme voices or it's just a result of fear and anxiety leaking out into the system. Because everything we do all the time has to deal with COVID. But there's something going on in this time, in this place, where we find ourselves becoming irrationally angry over really small things, where we lash out and we lean first towards fights. I felt that tension have impact on my own personal relationships, and I wonder if you have too. I've seen this anxiety tilt to the way people read and interpret information. I wonder if you've seen as well this tendency to set friend against friend, brother against brother. It may feel new, but this is not a new phenomenon, this anger first attitude. Humans have a long history of letting religion or politics or sports allegiance divide us. We assume if someone isn't with us, then they're against us. All of this perception of the other as enemy affects our relationships, but it isn't a new phenomenon. Paul wrote today's letter to the Ephesians way back in the first century, probably around 40 or 50 AD, before even the written form of the Gospels we have in the, today were finalized. Paul's writings are the closest things we have to the time of Christ himself, and these letters reflect the reality of a world that was divided of a people who struggled with living up to the oath that they swore to, the promises they made to be loving and kind. And while we might not always disagree on how we're supposed to act or how we're supposed to believe, Paul reminds the Ephesians that the church and Christians' first concern is not purity tests. It's not total agreements with each other, but that God claims each person as a child of God. The Ephesians wrestled with what to do with this division that caused anger. How could I be in relationships with someone I don't agree with who is the opposite of me in every way? How do I forgive someone who has 
sound who has um, bothered me to the point of anger? How do I see past my own anxiety and stress and fear to be in relationship and community with this other side? Words had become weapons. They were used offensively. And it seemed that the church in Ephesus had the same modus operandi as the rest of society, to lead with anger, to isolate themselves within like-minded groups, to give up what is right because it gets to the goal and it doesn't matter if it's ethical as long as we get what we want in the end. The letter to the Ephesus, the Ephesians, takes a completely different approach to life. It insists that we are members of the same body, we in the church, and therefore we have a responsibility towards one another. And that applies as much to the way we speak to and about one another as it does to any other facet of life. From this perspective, Ephesians says our words should convey truth and grace. And by truth, I don't think it means a theoretical approach. It doesn't mean being right. It's not about a courtroom inquiry or academic research or a philosophical argument. Rather, speaking truth is a practical matter. Zechariah the prophet puts it this way. Speak the truth to one another, and the courts give real justice, the kind that brings peace. Do not plan ways of harming one another. Do not give false testimony under oath. For God hates lying, injustice, and violence. From this perspective, speaking truth is a way of fulfilling our commitment to relate to one another in ways that promote peace. When that is the case, our words convey grace. They become a vehicle, a demonstration of the grace of God. This is in stark contrast to the anger and bitterness and strife that seems so prevalent in our human experience. And while we may say what's really on our minds when we're angry, that doesn't mean we're speaking truth. Paul reminds us when our words are motivated by anger, it seems they're much more likely to be rotten words. The tradition has tended to interpret those rotten words as profanity, but I think it's probably closer to the idea that when we use words out of anger, it causes rottenness in our relationship. The point is that rotten words are like rotten fruit. Have you ever gotten a bag of apples and there's one apple at the bottom and you start to pull it out and you realize that every apple is sort of a little bit rotten? It's the opposite of good fruit. And if you've ever done that, pulled that one rotten fruit out of a bag, you know it can infect everything, the entire bag. Paul is concerned about our words and the way they are harmful the way that words destroy the bond of peace and poison the body of Christ. I think what Paul is talking about are words that come from anger. Paul reminds us the first priority of the Christian is the preservation of the body. The last line of the chapter in Ephesians says that before we default to anger, before anger overwhelms them, they need to remember that God is a God first of community. Be kind, be compassionate and forgiving. Live your life with love, follow the example of Christ. Be angry when it's justified, Paul says, but don't let that overwhelm your relationships with one another, with God, with the world. 
Remember whose you are, and like children, imitate God who reaches out first with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. The greatest story that I can think of that tells us about what this looks like is the story of Anakin Skywalker. Now, however you might feel about the prequels, and we can argue about which one's the best, though clearly, clearly the, um, oh gosh, Empire Strikes Back is the, no, Return of the Jedi is the best of all of the Star Wars um, movies, in my opinion. And we could have an argument, and we often do at our house, but the prequels set us up to explain how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. We meet this little kid named Anakin, and Anakin, when we first meet him, is a lost little boy. He's a lost little boy with powers that he doesn't know what to do with. He's lost, but he has a heart that he wants to go on an adventure. He wants to be part of a community. He wants to be a Jedi. And so he goes with the Jedi Masters to learn what it is to be a Jedi. And over time, his anxiety, his anger about his childhood, his anger about his situation, his anger that he doesn't get to be who he wants to be, becomes his entire identity. He doesn't become dark, he doesn't join the dark side because it's attractive, but because it taps into that anger and it makes him feel good about being angry. It makes him feel justified about being righteous. The anger, the hatred consumes him to the point where it destroys every relationship he's ever had. It bites the hands that feed him, it leads him to eventually kill the one person who cared for him it, it invites him to leave and abandon his family and his children because the anger is more important. The anger has become his priority. I was looking at the Scouts Oath this week. I hadn't heard it in its entirety before. Girl Scouts had a different oath. <laughs> and so I looked at it, and in this oath it says that you promise to do your best. You promise to do your best, to do your duty to God and country, and to help out peoples at all times. It's saying that if you are a scout, your first priority, your first allegiance is to try your hardest to be faithful to God and to help out others in your community. It's the same for Christians. Our first priority, our first response is our allegiance to God, who we are as peoples of God. And sometimes we may feel anger we may feel anxiety and fear, but if we remember that identity, then that anger will not consume us. If we remember the principles that are important. Before we step into our other responsibilities of school or work or sports or music, you're supposed to remember that you are a scout and let that define your relationship. So if a boy is being picked on by another player on your team, then if your loyalty is first to your team, you might ignore it. But if you remember your allegiance to being a scout, then you might intervene because a scout helps others at all times. Anger feels good sometimes. Our anxiety can feel comfortable sometimes. Our fear can hold us back. But when we let those consume us, when we forget that we are claimed by God, when we are given compassion and kindness by God, when we forget those things, then we let anger and anxiety and fear become our identity. And that does not feel good after a while. Paul reminds us that we are first gods. 
We are first claimed by God. That means that when we define ourselves that way, we can intentionally put on the characteristics of compassion, of kindness. What might it look like for us to treat others, even the ones we disagree with, with kindness and compassion at all times? How might that reshape our community, our world? What if we approached every conversation, even the ones we feel passionate about, with humility? How might we be patient with those who engage with a difficult topic with us because we know somebody may not yet be ready to deal with the consequences? Paul is saying it's that our attitude is important. It's not our job to always be right. It's not our job to always be the number one. It is sometimes our jobs to just be a loving, kind presence. And if we choose to model ourselves after Jesus, that means that we treat each other as reflects on God and how it reflects on the church. We're called to be better, to try our hardest to be better. Friends, we are chosen by God and we are deeply loved. And in this moment, we have work to do to live up to the calling that whatever we do in word or in deed may be done to the glory of God. May kindness, mercy, and compassion be our identity. Amen.